Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Hi, welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken with Faith Dialogue, a ministry here in Celebration, Florida. Uh, we are in the um, midst, actually getting closer to the end of a uh, series we call Unstoppable. It's based on the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. Um, now, as you remember, if you've been watching with us uh, the last few weeks, last week we talked about how Paul had been accused of teaching the Jews, and it said everywhere, teaching the Jews everywhere to abandon Moses, to not circumcise uh, their male children, and then he also taught against the, the temple. Now, these accusations were completely false. They were done basically by a group of Jews primarily that were what called a Judaizers, and they lied. These were people that believed that in order to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew first. Now, of course, Paul did none of these things. Um, it was a con on the contrary. Um, Paul told the, uh, the Gentiles that they didn't need to be circumcised, but he never told the Jews to abandon Moses. However, with lies, and we see this today, if you tell the lie often enough, people will start to begin to, to believe the lie rather than the truth. Now, what the elders of the church in Jerusalem decided to do was after they praised Paul for what God had done through him in his third missionary journey, um, they decided to come up with a compromise. And the idea was this, is that Paul was to associate with uh, three men uh, that were known to be faithful and just. And he was to associate with these men. They were going through a, a purification ritual, uh, most likely uh, uh, the vow of the Nazarite. And he would associate with them, pay their expenses, and people would see that Paul was a, a good guy because he was associating with these, these good men. Uh, their goodness would actually rub off on Paul. Well, no sooner had Paul gotten into the seventh day when the purification of the temple was to be completed, when the Jews of Asia cried out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people the law and this place. And again, that's Moses and the circumcision as well as the temple. Well, we, we read and we found out a few things very quickly. A riot developed and people were shouting and pushing and they would have killed Paul except that a, a Roman commander in charge of 500 troops that was stationed nearby the temple heard of the commotion and went with his troops and rescued Paul. They actually put him under arrest. Uh, but at the same time, they protected Paul. Um, no doubt while this was happening and they, and they imprisoned Paul and they, and they handcuffed him to a soldier on his right and a soldier on his left, Paul probably remembered the prophecy of Agabus, the, old, uh, the prophet that came up from Jerusalem that took Paul's belt wrapped around himself and he said, the owner of this belt will be just the same way um, imprisoned by the Gentiles in Rome. Uh, so I'm sure Paul probably remembered that as well while that was happening. Now, again, we mentioned that the, the people that stirred up the, the Jews were the Judaizers. These were the people that were Christians in name at least, uh, but they believed that people had to become Jews in order to become 
uh, Christians, and the other ones were probably uh, Jews that, that uh, <laughs> they would get excited at any time, and they didn't think too much of Christians as well. This was the same crowd that had stoned uh, Stephen uh, probably 30, 35 years before that. Um, so again, uh, this was contrary to what the apostles had, had, and the elder, had and the elders had told Paul was that the Gentiles did not have to go through the law of Moses. They didn't have to be circumcised, and the elders had approved that. Um, again, the, it was a lie that Paul was teaching this to the Jews as well, but again, people will believe a lie. So as we closed last week, we saw the Roman commander had taken Paul, and Paul basically asked if he could speak. He could speak to the people, which I thought was amazing. Just as Paul is being threatened and the mob is ready to kill him, the Roman commander arrests Paul, and Paul speaks to him, and he can speak Greek, and the Roman commander was impressed that he could speak Greek. And Paul said, no, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Jew. I'm from Cilicia, and, and I'd like to speak to these people. So that's where we pick up today. We'll, today we'll be starting by finishing uh, chapter 21 of the Acts of the Apostles. And this is what it says in verse 40. It says, so when he had given him permission... Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people, and there was a great silence. He spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying. Now, that's where the scriptures stop for chapter 21, and now we go into chapter 22. And in our home church, typically, because I go through the scriptures, and sometimes it takes a long time to get through chapters, our people tend to, to applaud. They, they tend to get excited when we move into new chapters. So this is chapter 22, verse 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, taught according to the strictness of our father's laws, and was zealous towards God's as you are all today. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bear me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. You know, so as we start today with Paul's defense, I want to take you back a few chapters in the book of Acts, back to Acts chapter 6. It's in Acts chapter 6 where the deacons, the brand new, the seven deacons were appointed by the apostles. And then we see Stephen um, uh, talking to them and they grab Stephen and they're basically uh, going to stone Stephen. And this is what it says. And this is Acts chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. It says, they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They, they produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's why I brought it up. This is exactly the same charge that they're leveling against, against Paul. And you see, this is what's stirring up the Jews. If you speak against Moses, if you speak against circumcision, their tra traditions, and you speak against the temple, uh, they're going to get riled up. So if you want to you basically uh, take somebody out, so what we today have our cancel culture, if you want to take people out of the mix and, and, uh, and, and uh, dissuade them uh, from having any kind of minister, any kind of influence, you just attack them. 
uh, whether it's false witnesses or you just say it yourself, you just spread a lie and that's all it takes. Now, I want you to understand what Paul was saying here. Because what we see with Paul is what we've seen as well with the rest of these leaders in the Acts of the Apostles. We see extreme humility and we also see extreme courage. Courage in the face of, of persecution. You know, and this goes back a ways too. We can go all the way back uh, uh, 2,000 years, uh, 1,700 years prior to this, to the Old Testament Daniel, who would not cease to pray three times a day. And he was willing to enter into the lion's den, or his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow down when they heard the music starting worship at the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. These men had humility and they had tremendous courage in the face of perse persecution. Uh, consequently, uh, as Daniel had to go into the lion's den, the three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had to go into the fiery furnace. But they, they came out and they didn't even smell like smoke. And, and you know, we can also read of the humility and courage of, of Christian saints, even much more contemporary than that. Going back 14, 1500 years um, uh, after, after the birth of Christ, uh, we have the time just prior to the Protestant Reformation. There was a man named John Huss of Bohemia. He preceded Martin Luther by a hundred years, but he believed in the same types of reforms. He believed in using the Bible as the basis of the faith. Well, he was burned at the stake, but he never recanted. He had tremendous humility and tremendous courage. And there's others. We could speak of Thomas Cranmer, uh, William Tyndale of England also. They were all martyred for their faith. You know, today we read about persecution still going on around the world. Uh, we're extremely blessed here in the West, particularly in the United States, where we have freedom of religion. And sometimes we complain about some limits on our freedom, but let me tell you, we are so blessed to be able to, to speak the gospel, to be able to meet publicly, to have public forms of worship, to be able to put these videos out. It's amazing. In North Korea, for example, under the regime of Kim Jong-un, um, it, there's, there's no religion, there's no religious freedom at all. Uh, it's illegal to have any Christian faith, uh, any meeting, any prayer meeting, any church meeting, any small group in houses, even owning a Bible is punishable by jail and many have actually uh, been sent to prison camps and died uh, because of the persecution against Christians in North Korea. So as we read what the Apostle Paul has to say, it, it will sound today a lot like what Stephen had to say. Stephen's address before he was stoned is very similar to what Paul is going to be saying. Stephen was the first martyr of the church, uh, but it also sounds similar today to accounts we hear from, from missionaries abroad, people that are giving their testimony for Jesus Christ. Let's go on, verse 6. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all things that are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. 
You know, this is actually the third time that Paul tells this account of his of his meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, we read the story before. Um, it will be actually told one more one more time in the book of Acts in chapter 26. Uh, we can actually learn a lot from this story, and I think that's exactly why Paul is, is telling the story as part of his defense. Paul is saying, hey, listen, I was, all, I was just like you until I had an encounter with Jesus, and that encounter changed my life. You know, this testimony of Paul's is your testimony as well. You know, don't think for a moment that you don't have something to say to somebody that's inquiring about the faith that resides within you. You can share your testimony. When you encounter a non-believer and you want to share the, the, uh, them, this Jesus, the Son of God, who was crucified, died, and buried for their sin as well as yours, give them your testimony. I was just like you until I had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus met me and my life was dramatically changed. You know, Paul also mentioned how he was blinded by the light. And just a side note on that, you know, Paul before thought he could see, but he was actually spiritually blind. But after he gains his physical sight, he has new spiritual eyes to see as well. Let's continue. Verse 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, this verse 16, the very last verse that, that, I, that I read, is a, is a key verse for those people that teach what's called baptismal regeneration. This means they believe that it's baptism, actually water baptism, that saves. They read, arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, and, they, and they, they get the idea that this is teaching specifically that it's the baptism that washes away sins. Now, this is not true. Uh, we have so many verses in the Bible, and we understand the context of the entire New Testament, and we understand that water baptism is a symbol of what God is doing in your life. The teaching of the New Testament is very clear, that we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone can boast. You know, there is no formula to being saved because it's the sovereign work of God. Some spend decades searching for answers and ultimately, hopefully, end up at the cross and are saved. Some go to church for years. Finally, after years in church, they understand that Christ died for their sins and they can experience true life, true forgiveness, and eternal life by accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, others get it by listening to a simple message of the gospel. Maybe the very first time they hear it and they accept it and they're saved. Paul preached the word of God. He heard it here from Ananias as well. 
And it was part of what Paul preached. Paul preached the gospel. Listen to what Paul preached. This is out of Romans 10, specifically speaking of baptism. It says, the word of faith which we preach, that if we confess, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, did you hear? I said, those are the verses that speak specifically of baptismal regeneration. It's not there. It's not there. Paul tells us what, what, what salvation is all about. It's about believing in your heart, confessing with your, confessing with your mouth. Baptismal regeneration is a sign of what God is already doing in your life. Let's continue. Verse 17. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death, and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. You know, scholars find this particular passage very interesting. As I mentioned earlier, this is Paul's defense. This is his address, his, his sermon. He's speaking in Hebrew to a crowd of, of literally thousands. And he's retelling the story of his conversion on the road to Damascus. Paul's conversion had a tremendous impact on him. That's, that's why he's, he's told it three times. In fact, this is, this is now the fourth time that we're, we're hearing about it. In verse 17, the apostle Paul introduces new information. Going back 25 years to, a trip, to his trip to Jerusalem after his conversion. Now this is likely three years after his conversion because the gospel the account of, or the, the, the uh, account of Paul tells us that he spent three years in the desert uh, being taught directly by Jesus and then returned to Jerusalem. So it's three years after his conversion. He's back in Jerusalem. And if you remember, all of the apostles and the disciples were afraid of Paul for obvious reasons, because he was the one that had been persecuting them. He was there when, when, um, when Stephen was stoned. However, Dr. Luke tells us in chapter 9 that Barnabas took him and brought him into the disciples and vouched for him and told him of the great things that God was doing through Paul in Antioch and other places. And, and by that time, he's also describing um, on how he had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. That's actually the fifth account. I forgot this one. That's the fifth account of this, this conversion process of, of, of the Apostle Paul. But this vision of the Lord in the temple that Paul speaks of is new information. His conversion with the Lord, his conversation with the Lord in the temple, this is, this is all new information. Paul, for some reason, introduces it to us here. It's part of his defense. He's only doing what God has told him to do. God told him to get out of Jerusalem because they were about to kill him. God told him, Jesus told him that they would not accept his testimony. Notice how Paul has remorse for the persecution of the believers. He mentions Stephen specifically in the shed blood of Stephen. He doesn't feel worthy, but God has called him and he's going to do what God has told him to do. Uh, then Jesus tells him this. He says, depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. 
And I want to finish up today, speaking of that, of Paul's going to the Gentiles, of Jesus' decision to send Paul to the Gentiles because Paul had work to do. And we see that Paul had amazing work to do and God was with him, the Holy Spirit was with Paul as he went to these Gentile lands. There were mighty miracles that were done by the hand of Paul. It was amazing what God was able to accomplish through him. Now, if you can get your head around what God is doing, if you can embrace this idea of the new covenant, of what Jesus Christ is doing, and what it means to be saved, saved as Paul talks about, it, it'll change your whole experience. It'll change the way you do church. It'll help you understand why it is we do church the way we do it. How to worship, how we're, why we're looking so intently as well for the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, we are, presently what's known, we are presently in what's known as the Age of Grace. It's also known as the Time of the Gentiles. It was prophesied and spoken of by Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, Jesus calls it the New Covenant. It's based on the grace of God. The Apostle Paul speaks to this very clearly in Romans chapter 11. Paul tells us that because the, the Jewish people rejected Jesus and crucified Jesus with the help of the Romans, they were temporarily cut off from his blessing, of a, the blessing of a relationship with God. While they remained the chosen people, the gospel was given instead to the, to the Gentiles. And we have seen through our study in the Acts of the Apostles that the Gentiles gladly, gladly received it. As everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved, we know that there's a partial hardening of, of heart for the people of, of Israel. Now that doesn't prohibit individual Jews from coming to Christ and being saved. And we know this from experience that we do have our Jewish brothers and sisters among us in our churches, but our churches are primarily Gentile churches. We know as a nation, the Jewish people will not collectively embrace Christ as the Messiah until God's plans are finished with the Gentiles. When the time is right, God will restore the entire nation of Israel. They will come to faith in Christ, ending this time of the Gentiles. Now this is a huge part of our belief um, and practice as believers. We have been saved by grace. And as because we've been saved by grace, and as a result, we no longer rely on the law given to Moses. We don't have priests making sacrifices for sins. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And in closing, let me tell you some really good news. The Bible teaches that once the fullness of the Gentiles has come, when God once again turns his attention to the Jewish nation, that means that the return of Jesus Christ is very near. That time just prior to the physical return of Jesus Christ to this earth is called the Great Tribulation. One of the signs that Jesus is returning is the regathering of the people of Israel. And that happened in May of 1948. We know in the book of Revelation, as well as the book of Daniel, that the time of tribulation will be a horrible time be time of suffering, plagues, and war. It's also the time when the Antichrist, a ruthless world leader, also called the man of lawlessness, um, takes over control of, of much of the earth. Now here's the good news. Before the man of lawlessness is revealed, will be taken out, will be taken home. 
So before the man of lawlessness is revealed, this Antichrist, we, the believers, will be taken home. If you're a believer and have been saved by grace through faith, you, don't, you won't be going through the tribulation. The Apostle Paul made this clear. He said, presently, we, the church, uh, we are the ones that are restraining sin. We're restraining this coming time of tribulation. He says, and Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Now, and now you know that what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken away. We call that the rapture of the church. When we who are restraining, that's the, that's the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit dwells within the body of every single believer when we're taken away. I wish we had time today to talk about the glorious return of the Lord, uh, joining Him in heaven, having glorified bodies. But for today, let's just say, thank you, Lord, for this time of grace, this new covenant. And we can also say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this, this uh, lesson today as we get into chapter 20. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.